Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Around the A. A weekly look at the top stories, news, and interviews from the NHL's top developmental league with your hosts, David Foote and Patrick Williams on the Sports Podcasting Network. Starting to wind down this second season of Around the A, a few episodes still left to go and a whole lot to unpack on this week's show. Uh, David Foote and Patrick Williams here, of course. Uh, we're going to recap the Pacific Division uh, final and uh, tell you that the Bakersfield Condors uh, beat the Henderson Silver Knights in a bit of a thriller. It was a, an excellent series and uh, a crowd uh, being in T-Mobile Arena in Vegas certainly made a difference there. Um, the Henderson Silver Knights uh, and uh, Bakersfield Condors also featuring in on some of our headlines this week as far as league awards go and uh, a big signing for Bakersfield as well. We've also got uh, an update on the Palm Springs Arena project, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. And our feature guest this week is Brent Rossi, the president of business operations from the Bridgeport Islanders. Yes, Islanders. We'll have to uh, uh, watch ourselves, I'm sure, a few times, Pat, when we talk to him uh, not to call them the Sound Tigers, but uh, again, probably the last super busy week of the season, I think, um, but a, a whole lot to talk about this week. Yeah, you know, we're now going to probably, knock on wood, I guess, enter a little bit more of a quieter period for next maybe four to six weeks, NHL playoffs start to wind down, uh, so that will take up a lot of the, uh, the oxygen for the hockey world. Uh, the AHL is wrapped up. It's, it's ironic that the season started four months late and now we're actually ending the season earlier than normal. So <laughs> you know, everything I got really compressed. Um, so in some ways, uh, you know, the off season for some people is, is shorter, but you know, for some players, it's actually quite a bit longer because they played well into May, you know, maybe longer than they would have played normally. So, uh, that, that's, uh, that's where things stand right now. It was, a uh, that Bakersfield Henderson series was a nice way into the season. I mean, there was a lot of strange changes this season. And that was the first time I thought all season things started to feel normal once again. Yeah, we do have some audio from uh, some of the folks involved in that series, uh, the head coaches from both Bakersfield and Henderson, as well as a couple of players as well, to talk a little bit about the season uh, as a whole and uh, as well the atmosphere uh, in the T-Mobile Arena for that uh, Pacific Division final. That's all coming up in our On the Fly segment later on. Uh, Before we get into the headlines, we'll remind you again to uh, subscribe to the podcast, uh, give us a rating and a review as well, and uh, shoot us an email around the apod at gmail.com if you've got some feedback for us. Uh, We're going to dive into that over the course of the offseason and see 
what changes we can make for the program heading into next year. But uh, let's get into the headlines, Pat, and let's start with uh, the Bakersfield Condors being crowned Pacific Division champs. Uh, this was the only division that held a you know, playoff-style tournament to uh, decide a winner. It was extremely well executed, and uh, as uh, we said right there off the open, the series itself was quite exciting and uh, well-contested. Bakersfield winning game one, three, two in overtime. Henderson coming back with a fairly decisive 6-3 win in game two, and then uh, the Condors picking up the win in the series victory as well, 3-2 in game number three. Uh, I know you took the games in. Uh, what did you make of what you saw as far as the on-ice product went? And how different was it from what we've been watching throughout the course of the season? Yeah, the only problem with the series is that it only went three games. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, it was the best of three, so it did feel like it went by pretty quickly. You had, you know, three games and four nights, which was a challenge for both teams, especially for Bakersfield. They had come in and uh, they actually played a stretch of four and five and then six and nine overall. So, um, but it certainly did not show their play. They, they were energized. Uh, that game two got away from a little bit, four goals in the first period for Henderson. Um, you could see that they, that Henderson came out that night on, on a mission and mm-hmm. they had lost game one and they did not want to lose game two. Uh, and they came and kind of blew the doors off Bakersfield in that first period and kind of wrapped the game up right then and there. Uh, and then game three was just a real good classic back and forth trading leads and goals and uh, came down to the third period. Tyler Benson, of course, uh, one of the top players in the league, third overall in scoring. He got the decisive goal uh, on a really pretty, uh, you know, shot under the crossbar. So um, it was a phenomenal series. Uh, it, it felt like a playoff hockey and not playoff hockey for this year, but just by any standard. Yeah. And, uh, I thought for this season, it was the first time I, like I said earlier, things felt normal. Like you had crowds in the building, you had that playoff energy, um, whatever the players may have thought about the, uh, the playoff format or not wanting to be there, all the rumors that had gone around, they certainly didn't play like it. Uh, they came in, they went all in. Uh, they viewed it as an opportunity to showcase themselves for six games in the case of Bakersfield, um, you know, to NHL general managers, uh, scouts, uh, whatever the case may be. You have Seattle coming in next season. You have new jobs uh, springing up uh, as a result. Players uh, played like the, that was in the, the forefront of their minds. So um, it was it was really good hockey. It was fast paced. It was physical. Uh, there was that that kind of that uh, tension between the two teams. They had played a lot in the season. Um, they played 10 times overall in the regular season. So, you know, they were familiar with each other. So a lot of it came down to execution. There were no real surprises. And it was just a good chess match, uh, good, you know, high quality, skilled, yet physical hockey. And with all of the development and the learning that was done over the course of this season, a chance to, uh, you know, put those lessons learned uh, into action and into practice and, um, you know, not worry about development as much as winning because uh, you mm-hmm. get into a tournament situation and, and you can, uh, you know, put yourself kind of, like you said, in that, you know, typical mindset of we're not just here to develop our skills. We're here to win. And I think, um, you know, from the highlights, at least that I saw and from the little bits and pieces I saw, uh, it certainly did come across that way that uh, those guys wanted to win and, and they wanted to prove something and end this strange season on the highest note possible. Yeah, uh, well, you start with Henderson. I mean, they've come in, um, you know, guns a-blazing, uh, just a team that they they view winning as an essential 
part of development and, and the sense that you can't develop if you don't win. Um, you don't want to develop your players in a losing environment. And simply by winning, you get to play high stakes, high pressure games. And that's all part of development. Uh, so they certainly play like that. And then in Bakersfield, you look at what Jay Woodcroft, the head coach there has done, came in in 2018 and has turned around a program that had kind of, you know, treaded water for, for a number of years. Uh, they've won now two out of the last three uh, division titles. Um, they're developing prospects. They're, they're, they're winning. I mean, they're doing everything you want. And that's huge for the Edmonton Oilers who are still, uh, even though they were a playoff team this year, still trying to fill in some of those gaps in the lineup at the, at the NHL level. So uh, both clubs really emphasize that, that winning component. And I, I mean, I can't tell you what, what a difference it makes when, when you have teams that, that play that way, as opposed to the more, well, we're going to develop the kids and, you know, win or lose. Uh, and that, you know, you see those teams, they just get, they get run over now. Uh, they can't keep up. Uh, the kids aren't able to uh, match that level of some of those teams that really do uh, emphasize winning. And, uh, you know, um, that's the standard. I mean, and so if, if you're a player in the league and you wanted to know, all right, what's the standard I need to be at, you know, in order to really make a push for an NHL job, just watch that series last week. Uh, it was as high as it gets uh, without actually being in the NHL. Yeah, and before we move on to the uh, awards and other headlines, uh, the big question that kind of sprung out to me was, you know, now that we've seen that kind of tournament play out and and how successful it really was, does it leave you kind of wishing that some of the other divisions had done the same thing? Because to me, uh, and I, you know, again, speaking to Troy Mann a couple of weeks back and, and some of the players in, in Belleville and around the league, um, while there, you know, wasn't a whole pile of appetite necessarily for playoff hockey, I think that uh, perspective may have changed a little bit for some after watching how it played out out West. Yeah. And I think we all understand why they didn't, uh, there are still some restrictions as far as, uh, arenas, uh, and, and, and fans. And, and then that brings in the financial aspects. Uh, so uh, I get that. Um, but, and I, and I think part of what made it the difference was, having fans in the building. Uh, I thought it was a great idea that they, they moved the, the series to the NHL building. Uh, that was a big thrill for the players. I mean, they mm. pretty much all to a man commented on that aspect, you know, how, you know, it felt like big time. All right. Now we're not, we're not even in our own building, which is a nice building in its own right. We're, we're not where the big boys play. Uh, and um, we're able to showcase our, 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 our stuff for, for the Vegas home fans. And for a lot of, uh, fans in that market this is the first time they really got to look at some of their prospects and it's just a, it's a great thing they're having the nhl and the ahl team in the same market uh there's you know the nhl fans are that much more invested in the minor league product so uh it was it was a great environment um i do think i do think the, uh there there is a little bit of a regret at least on my part that the other divisions couldn't make it work but you, you certainly do understand um why it wasn't possible. I mean, the money, the numbers just didn't work. Yeah. And uh, everybody kind of gets it at this point, uh, but it was nice that at least one division could get that playoff, uh, you know, tournament, if you will, uh, off and running and, and completed. And if you want to learn more about that uh, partnership between the NHL club and the AHL team in the Vegas area, uh, check out last week's episode with Brian McCormack, the voice of the Henderson Silver Knights. Uh, he gave us some excellent, excellent perspective on that. Again, our feature guest this week is out of the east, uh, the far east in the league, uh, the Bridgeport 
Islanders, and I always have to now pause. Uh, Brent Rossi will uh, be with us from the uh, Islanders to talk about their rebrand and a little bit about what they're trying to do with their new image moving forward. The league awards and the headlines this week are dominated by players from that Pacific Division final series. Let's start with Bakersfield first. Uh, Adam Cracknell, the uh, 15-year vet, was a huge part in that series, and um, he has been uh, re-signed for the upcoming year. Um, I got to see him a fair bit when he played for Laval the last couple of seasons. Uh, Powerful uh, shot from the point. Uh, Real dangerous on the power play. Obviously a veteran leader uh, on whatever club he's with, but earned himself uh, an early signing. Uh, Right, you know, the buzzer went on that Pacific Division final and uh, he was putting pen to paper just about the next day. And I think that says a lot about what he can bring uh, and did bring to the Bakersfield Condors. Yeah, how, how nice uh, for him. And he made that opportunity for himself. But uh, you get that that contract done uh, before you barely even leave town. Um, it's huge weight off his shoulders, I'm sure. Not having to worry about uh, free agency this summer, trying to land a job. So he squared swear away. It gives him uh, and his family some stability and an ability to plan. And uh, like you said, all, all, all the elements, uh, he still can play. He led the, the playoffs in scoring. Uh, he was dominant in that series against Henderson. Big body, excellent on faceoffs. Um, Henderson uh, players and, and coaches uh, remarked it was a good opportunity for for them, for their players, to have a chance to play against someone like him who's played over 200 NHL games. Um, to just get a sense of what it, what it's like to go up against a player who still has that pedigree and still has that that standard. And uh, so that that's a great signing for Bakersfield. Uh, like I said earlier, they, the Edmonton Oilers have really turned around that whole program in Bakersfield. Uh, really have invested in getting some good veterans there. Ryan Stanton, another one. Um, you know, so Seth Griffith, Brad Malone, uh, good veteran core there that kind of guide the younger players. It's, it's uh, making a huge difference. It's very similar now with Ken Holland running the show there uh, to what he did in Detroit and Grand Rapids for so many mm-hmm. years. That same formula of yeah, you want to develop prospects, but you have to give them a good foundation uh, to work with. And if you can blend those two things together and get the right veterans in there, um, as we saw, you have a pretty good uh, chance for success. And that work in uh, Grand Rapids obviously led to a fairly recent Calder Cup uh, championship as well. So, And we've talked about that in, in recent weeks on the show, just about the importance of uh, adding those veteran guys and, and supplementing the uh, young skill and, you know, players that need developing and Cracknell, obviously an easy signing to make for the Bakersfield Condors heading into next season. The uh, league awards this week, fairly heavily dominated by the Henderson Silver Knights. Uh, Let's start with the Baz Bastion uh, Memorial Award. Logan Thompson is the AHL's top goaltender for the 2020-21 season. Uh, A rookie goaltender, is that a rare thing to have uh, a newcomer to the league win the league's outstanding goaltender award? Yeah, that's not generally an award that uh, you're able to kind of come in your first year and snag, especially there's some good goalies in this league Mm -hmm. um, who are um, formidable competition for for that that award. And obviously this season was weird and different and um, certainly not your typical um, season, but uh, he did everything you, you, you wanted to do. He came in, played the ECHL last season. Remember, only two years, uh, three years ago, I should say, he was in uh, uh, U Sports uh, at Brock University. Uh, so, you know, he was, he's come a long way in just a couple years. 
Um, signed over the offseason uh, by Kelly McCrimmon. Uh, they go back uh, to their days with the Brandon Wheat Kings um, and came in and just did a phenomenal job. We heard from Brian uh, last week, uh, you know, just, yeah, he's a little bit of that Dominic Hoshek style, just kind of floppy and uh, does whatever it takes to get the save, the, the save made. But uh, um, he had a good team in front of him, but uh, that team also had a really good goalie uh, that allowed them to play the way that they did. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was just a perfect match, uh, the two of them together. And uh, I won't necessarily be surprised if you see uh, Thompson make a real push in the next year or two for an NHL job with the Vegas Golden Knights. He uh, did make his NHL debut in a relief appearance this past season. So uh, add that onto the accolades. But uh, yeah, I mean, you can't argue with the numbers 16, 6, and 2 in the regular season. Goals against average was 1.96. Uh, the save percentage, 943 in 23 games. And then his playoff numbers were excellent as well for the Henderson Silver Knights and uh, well-deserving for the uh, 24-year-old rookie out of Calgary, Alberta. Logan Thompson wins the AHL's Outstanding Goaltender Award, the Baz Bastion Memorial Award. And uh, his teammate, uh, Ryan Murphy, is the Eddie Shore Award winner for top defenseman. You mentioned that uh, Thompson had a good uh, team in front of him. One of those guys was obviously Ryan Murphy. Yeah, Ryan Murphy. What, what a story. Uh, former first-round pick of the Carolina Hurricanes, 11th overall back in 2011. Came in with a lot of hype, but your classic kind of uh, uh, puck-moving, modern-day offensive defenseman. and never quite worked out for him there. He bounced to the Minnesota, the New Jersey system. He actually had to go to the KHL last season and, and part of the start of this year. Um, kind of reworked his whole game, as Brian told us last week. Um, you know, he, he had gotten away from what made him successful early on, what had gotten him drafted first in the first round, uh, back as an 18 year old. And he got back to that, um, got, uh, you know, kind of back to the fundamentals of his game and what made him successful, but then was able to, uh, you know, incorporate some of those lessons over the years. And I had a good chat with him the other day at their, uh, exit interview. And, uh, he was really forthcoming about, uh, you know, the pressure and sort of the direction that young players, especially top picks get uh, can be a, you know, real tough and uh, you can get off track pretty easily. And before you know it, you're three, four or five years into your career and um, you're kind of wondering what happens. Uh, so, I mean, to his credit, he's, uh, he came in there on an AHL deal, um, you know, forced himself, uh, you know, you know, into that top role, um, and has done everything you can ask him to do. I know that he wants to stay in Vegas with that uh, um, Vegas system. Uh, sure, he'd love to get himself an NHL contract, two-way deal, but if he doesn't, uh, he's going to be highly sought after on the free agent market. So, um, you know, to his credit, he, he, he really did, I think, try to rework his game, but also, like I said earlier, just stick with those uh, foundational aspects that uh, – made him so successful. I think for young players, sometimes there's so many people that get in, get into their ear and, you know, you get a lot of conflicting information and you get people that are trying to completely reinvent you. And that's tough for a young player. Uh, but, uh, you know, to his credit, he was able to kind of get his career back on track. And uh, as a result, he has this uh, award to, to show for it. Yeah, probably would have liked the division uh, title as would have Logan Thompson, but they'll take that uh, individual hardware for sure to tack onto the resume. And uh, like you say, we'll see uh, you know what that does for his uh, you know stock on the free agent market coming up here in the next 
few months. Uh, the last award uh, that we'll mention this week is uh, the uh, Louis A.R. Pieri Memorial Award. That's for Coach of the Year. And if you're an avid listener to this program, uh, you will not be surprised to hear that Spencer Carberry from the Hershey Bears was the winner of that. Uh, we've talked a lot about you know what he brings behind the bench uh, in his attitude, in his uh, philosophy on prospect development, and in his coaching style. And uh, naturally, I would imagine, Pat, you're not surprised at all uh, to see this uh, this be announced. No, uh, ever since he came into Hershey at the start of 2018, uh, it's been pretty much nothing but win. Uh, that first half of that first season, they were in last place. Uh, he It took him a little bit of time to get his system in place, to get his message across. But from that point forward that year, they played 789 hockey down the stretch, got themselves into the playoffs, uh, pushed past a, a number of teams. Last season, they were in contention with Providence and Delville for first overall in the Eastern Conference. Very well could have easily been the team to come out of the East last season had it not been for the pandemic, um, interrupting the season and then eventually shutting it down. And then this season, uh, first overall in the league, dominant pretty much start to finish. Uh, uh, Well-coached, well-disciplined team, uh, really no holes in that lineup, uh, but uh, a good blend of, like we said earlier, prospects and winning. Uh, the Washington Capitals Hershey affiliation uh, going back to 2005 has been one of the best, if not the best, uh, in that span in the entire National Hockey League. And uh, what they've been able to do in terms of winning and development uh, 14 players on the Caps, 2018 uh, Stanley Cup team had come through Hershey. Um, and there's going to be a few more at the very least that come through Hershey now, especially if the Caps uh, retool some uh, some spots in their lineup for next season. A uh, big part of that is Spencer Carberry, uh, one of the top young uh, head coaching prospects in the entire league. And that that's a job uh, or that's a position that uh, for that award, there's a lot of competition. There was a lot of people that you could have made a very good case for this season, but uh, Wade Carberry guided that team, uh, the way, way he's done it ever since he got there. Uh, you know, it's just been an excellent job by him. And, uh, you know, it's, I think for him, only a matter of time before you eventually see him uh, behind an NHL bench. Yeah. All favoritism aside, I think his predecessor in Hershey, uh, Troy Mann, probably was in the running for that award this year, just based on what he was able to do with so many rookies in Belleville this season. Uh, Manny Viveros, who we'll hear from on On the Fly a little bit later, obviously coming into a, a brand new franchise and getting Henderson to the point they were at. The list goes on and on, and um, deservedly, uh, Spencer Carberry, the winner, again, of the uh, Louis Pieri Memorial Award for Coach of the Year. There are a few more awards to be handed out uh, over the next few days and in the next week, so we'll recap them on next week's show, episode 19, and uh, we'll tease for you that we're looking to finish this uh, season in episode 20 with, uh, hopefully, the new president and CEO of the AHL, Scott Housen, uh, working on nailing that down to uh, send out the season with a bang and head into the off season, but uh, still a couple more weeks before we get to that. Um, before we get to our feature interview this week, again, it's Brent Rossi, the president of business ops for the Bridgeport Islanders. Uh, our last headline this week comes out of Palm Springs, where the shovel is officially in the ground on that uh, arena project, which has taken about two years to get to this point, Pat. We've talked a fair bit about it recently, but this is a huge milestone to finally get shovels in the ground, to get construction started, and um, to start the process to getting this thing built as quickly as possible. 
Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a journey. I think it's probably fair to say um, that that team was originally announced in September 2019, um, and they were expected to play in, in downtown Palm Springs. Well, that plan got uh, scrapped. Uh, there was a lot of opposition uh, locally, you know, in terms of location and parking and and everything that goes with that. Um, that groundbreaking had been scheduled for February of 2020. Well, we all know what came after that. Um, and it's been a long, long slog for all the parties involved. Uh, they're now going to uh, have that building, $250 million, on the uh, outskirts of Palm Springs in a community called Palm Desert. Uh, it's right off a major interstate highway. Um, it, the accessibility there will be uh, pretty good for people. Um, and for that market, uh, one aspect of it is um, there's going to be uh, just more ice available. Uh, there's not really any ice to speak of at the moment, uh, you know, for, for minor hockey and, you know, the community at large. So yeah, you don't uh, say, yeah, well, exactly. Right. <laughs> not uh, much ice know, in the desert. No, there's not. And, um, uh, and yet, I mean, when you think in the last 20 years, how that uh, part of the United States has become, you know, kind of a little bit of a hotbed, you know, Austin Matthews from Arizona. I mean, mm -hmm. um, Vegas, obviously a huge success story. Southern California. I mean, you go back to the Wayne Gretzky days of him coming to LA and kind of spurring that. And uh, now, nowadays, if you see a player come from California, it's not even that shocking. Um, you know, whereas, you know, it wasn't that long ago, really, in the grand scheme of things that uh, you just didn't see players from California, but um, so now you have an opportunity to expand that footprint further in a place like Palm Springs. I can tell you being there last year um, in, it was January of 2020, there's a lot of money in that market. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there's big, big money. Uh, obviously, you know, when you look at a $250 million building, it's all going to be privately financed. Uh, so that's, uh, I think, a big win for the uh, local community and for the taxpayers there for sure. Um, and uh, you have the Oakview Group, led by Tim Blywicki, who's uh, kind of had his hand in everything in terms of arenas and uh, franchises and uh, you name it in the last how many you know, years. I mean, one of the major, major players in that, in that, in that world. And he's been pretty hands-on with this, with this uh, uh, deal and getting it to the finish line. So this is a big deal for Seattle, uh, getting this in place. They want to have it open by uh, fall of 2022, uh, which would uh, get them, um, you know, they, they, they'll miss next season. So they'll have to put their players somewhere, but by that point in, in 2022, you definitely want to have your own franchise where you can really start to get your your prospects in order and start developing as an expansion NHL franchise. So now this is a big deal. I, I find that kind of fitting that uh, um, on the day they're breaking ground uh, for that arena, it's uh, roughly 35 Celsius around 104 <laughs> Fahrenheit, which just seems pretty fitting. Um, but it's a beautiful, beautiful area. Uh, it's going to be, I think, immediately a, a top destination for players uh, who have an opportunity to sign there to play in Palm Springs. Um, you have a lot of road games in San Diego, two hours away. Ontario's an hour or so away. Uh, Bakersfield isn't too far. Um, Henderson's not that far. So uh, you'll have a good travel setup for the team. It's just a big, it's a big step for the HL uh, franchise number 32. 
And uh, you can learn more about what's happening with that arena project. The good folks at the Palm Springs Desert Sun have obviously had some running coverage of that. So you can head over to a desertsun.com and check out uh, everything that's going on with the Coachella Valley Arena, which again has officially broken ground this week. A big, big milestone in uh, getting that uh, franchise set up in Palm Springs. Uh, we'll move on to our uh, feature guest this week. Brent Rossi is the president of business operations with the now Bridgeport Islanders. We talked the other week about the kind of surprise rebrand and some of the initial reaction to it. Um, we're not going to, uh, you know, just lob softballs either at Brent. We're going to ask him some tough questions about why rebrand. Uh, I, for one, was a big fan of the Sound Tigers uh, logo and and that whole image uh, and thought it was one of the best in the league, if I'm being blatantly honest, uh, but we'll talk to him about why make the change. But this is a guy, Pat, that's got a pile of experience um, and, and was behind this decision. And uh, as you'll hear from him, you know, didn't take the decision lightly. Uh, he was working with Pagula sports and entertainment. So that's the group that owns the Buffalo Sabres, Rochester Americans, Buffalo bills, among some other properties. Uh, he was uh, selected to sports business journals, 40 under 40 list in 2018 because of his success. He's worked for world wrestling entertainment, the Harlem Globetrotters, the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, the guy's got some experience. And while I would have liked to have dove deeper into some of his other uh, career accomplishments and, uh, and stories, we kept this pretty um, tightly, uh, you know, around the, Bridgeport Islanders rebrand, but uh, a guy with a, a ton of perspective, and uh, and we'll get real deep into this. Yeah, when they approached us about doing an interview, I mean, uh, absolutely. Uh, like you said, there was a lot of controversy, um, and I guess that's not surprising. You're changing the name of a team that's had that for 20 seasons. Mm -hmm. um, that's an interesting part of the, uh, the hockey map in general, because that's where Rangers fans, Islanders fans kind of converge. Uh, overlap uh so that that's kind of a subplot there uh the new york islanders are islanders are trying to establish a, a stronger footprint in that area of uh southern and southwestern connecticut um and let's be honest i mean bridgeport has struggled really badly over the years off the ice mm -hmm. build a fan base i mean there are a lot of nights there you know that the building's pretty empty um, it's a tough market to crack when they brought Brent Rossi in 2019, uh, they, they definitely went for a heavy hitter, a guy, like you said, who's got all kinds of experience, um, a real, real strong business person. Um, and now he's actually, I think going to get put his, uh, his stamp on this. He came in last season. Well, by the time you kind of get established, you run into the pandemic, shutting down the season. This season, obviously, you know, from a business standpoint, what can you say? Um, no fans. Uh, you know, Bridgeport played two teams all season. It wasn't really, you know, a, a chance for him to do his job. This was just trying to keep this, you know, the team afloat for this year and, and get through the season. Now, this summer and going into next fall, that's where I think you'll really see um, his fingerprints on this this team. He has a lot of work to do. Uh, he certainly did not um, take an easy job. Um, you, you know, obviously with that resume, he probably could have had a pick of a lot of different jobs, a lot of different roles. Mm -hmm. Um, he's a guy that obviously is up for a challenge. Um, and as, as he details in an uh, interview with him, um, it, he has a lot of ideas, a lot of, uh, different thoughts on the plate. 
uh, things that he wants to incorporate, and he really wants to get that franchise up to up to par uh, and get them much more on much more steady footing um, off the ice and get those players playing in front of fans. I mean, that makes such a difference for young players to have that that atmosphere and mm-hmm. to not play in an empty building every night. Um, and frankly, uh, I'm pretty confident that he can do it. I, I think um, he's a guy that obviously, you know, when you hear in the interview with us, very charismatic, he knows how to sell, he knows how to uh, push a product. And uh, I think uh, it'd be very interesting to see how this unfolds for the next couple of years, see what he can do to turn it around. We've got uh, more audio coming up later on, on the fly from uh, Bakersfield and Henderson. But first, Brent Rossi, the president of business operations of the Bridgeport Islanders, joins us next on uh, Season 2, Episode 18 of Around the Edge. Interact with us on social media. Give us your thoughts using the hashtag Around the A and follow us at Around the A Pod. Uh, thanks for taking some time for us, Brent. Appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, Patrick, David, great meeting you guys. Thank you. Um, I have to admit that I have also messed up um, <laughs> the Bridgeport Islanders name a couple times, caught myself, um, but I'm, I'm getting more used to it. So appreciate you having me on. Yeah, and everybody will get used to it more and more, obviously, as uh, as everything rolls out and into next season. Uh, before we get in, into the, the rebrand a little bit, I wanted to get some thoughts on this past season that was um, – it was strange for everybody, maybe a little bit more so um, in your part of, uh, of the league where you saw the same couple of teams all season long. Uh, what was it like, uh, and especially from the business side of things, going through the pandemic and, and you know, running an operation through this strange season? Yeah, I mean, you know, there was honestly good and, and bad. Um, the bad was you know, it wasn't a regular season. We didn't have fans in here. It was a completely different atmosphere. Um, you know, we played the same two teams, um, you know, 12 times, um, which again, from a development perspective was great from, you know, probably a excitement and storytelling perspective, you know, wasn't as great. Um, the positives and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a glass half full guy. Hmm. The positives was the staff, um, came together in a way that I don't think we ever have prior to this. Um, we were all challenged in a completely different way. Um, we had, you know, a, a bunch of challenges um, and obstacles that we had to come up with solutions for where there was really no manual. Um, and that was across all sport and I think entertainment in general. Um, but what, what it did is it, is it allowed us as a team to think about things in a different way um, and to really kind of think outside the box. Uh, and I would say there was a, a type of, um, you know, coming together, you know, moment this season, a real bonding moment for our employees, because what we actually did is we didn't bring in anyone from the outside to run any part of our game. It was all done internally. Um, which was done for a reason, obviously, from a safety perspective. Uh, we wanted to make sure that anybody working our games, uh, you know, went through the, the, the proper, you know, safety protocols. So we had, you know, our vice president of ticket sales, who was our PA announcer. We had people on our ticketing team who were in the penalty box, you know, opening up doors for players. Um, we had, you know, people on our marketing team who were statisticians um, and, you know, writing down shots on goal and, 
um, things like that. So it was, again, a way for them to maybe get a little more immersed into what it is like to run, you know, a, a game day for a hockey team. Um, they got out of their comfort zone um, with some things and, you know, ultimately knock on wood, we didn't have one issue this year um, in terms of, you know, employees or players um, from a, a, a pandemic or, or COVID perspective. Um, so it was that that's the, that's the positive. And, and you've seen it around here where it's just a different environment um, because of the closeness, I think, that all of our employees here, um, you know, kind of had during during that time. Along those lines, uh, what lessons might you be able to take? What practices may you be able to take from this season? And what are the challenges now going into next season when, you know, the goal is to have things back to normal, at least as much as possible? Yeah, I don't think there's not much we're going to be taking from this season, candidly. Okay. Because I, think, I think we are ready for okay. normality. Um, more than anything, it was honestly just seeing the staff step up in the way that they did. And it was more of like a learning you know, mm -hmm. thing for them. Um, it was them getting experience in different areas. It was, as an organization, developing trust um, with each other. Um, as we go into next season, I think there's more of an appreciation from our standpoint um, for putting on events with fans um, and just what we miss when we don't have fans in the building. Um, never do we take our fan base for granted, but from what we're going to be doing next year is we are making a full commitment to revamping our fan experience um, and every kind of touch point we have with our fans um, on game day, but also, you know, during the season um, really, you know, just how valuable they are to everything that we do. Um, and it's not even the revenue side or the ticket sales side, obviously that they're extremely valuable on that side, but just in terms of the branding and the excitement, the storytelling, um, you know, and how we hopefully can, you know, start to develop and grow our brand here in, in Bridgeport and uh, Fairfield County and hopefully all Connecticut. Chatting with Brent Rossi, the uh, Bridgeport Islanders president of business operations. Uh, let's talk about the rebrand a little bit. Um, naturally, I think there were some some folks around the league that were maybe a little bit surprised, kind of caught off guard. Uh, where did the, um, I guess, the idea come from? What was the process like to uh, arrive at the Islanders name and, and this kind of concept? So candidly, it's something we've been talking about for about a year and almost a half. Um, when I, I got here October 1st of 2019, um, and I think a month into it, we started having conversations internally with um, our GM, Chris Lamorello, um, the GM of the Islanders, Lou Lamorello, and then our ownership group um, about how we want to start to move forward with this brand. Um, it was nothing about us turning our back on the Sound Tigers name. It was more about us moving in a different direction um, in terms of creating that direct connection between our parent club and AHL club. Um, there were several reasons for it. Um, I think first off is the way that the NHL is structured now. There is such a connection between AHL and NHL. Um, you know, 10 years ago, my favorite day of the year was trade deadline day in the NHL because you would see unbelievable right trades back and forth. Not that you don't see that now, but they're different types of trades. Mm -hmm. They're not, you know, some of these young, you know, players who are, you know, have five, six years left in their contract. It's maybe a little different now. So now there's such a connection between draft development and then the actual, you know, big leagues 
that from our standpoint, we saw a huge opportunity from a storytelling perspective um, and a content creation perspective to start to develop our fans in a way where they see that connection, where you're going to watch your favorite Islanders come in from the draft, go to Bridgeport, have success here, and then go to New York and have success there and follow them throughout that entire, their entire career. Um, the other reason for it was we see Connecticut as a massive opportunity from a fandom perspective, um, from an Islanders, uh, you know, growth in, in terms of the brand and in terms of extending our, our fan base within this area, within Westchester and within Connecticut. A lot of that is driven by UBS Arena, um, which is being built and will open, you know, in, in, uh, in next season. Um, and now it's a much closer drive um, to get from Connecticut there. Uh, there is uh, train and, and subway options that will make the, the drive to get into a game a lot more convenient. Um, it's actually the closest venue uh, to Connecticut um, outside of obviously Webster Bank Arena when you look at all the other ones in New York. Mm -hmm. um, the venue is going to be absolutely spectacular. Um, if you have not seen renderings of it, um, ubsarena.com it, it is unbelievable um, what they tried to do there in terms of bringing some of what the Coliseum has and bringing it to UBS Arena um, you know, simple things like the, the height of, of the ceiling um, the height of the roof where you know, typically the way that, that venues have been built um, recently are you know, kind of you want to they, they have these massive you know, cathedral ceilings Mm -hmm. What we've actually done, and this was really through our ownership group, John Ledecky, Scott Melkin, and Dewey Shea, was they wanted to bring that intimate experience from NASA into UBS Arena. And not only the feeling, but also the noise. And if you hear anybody, any players, um, you know, who are NHL players, they will tell you one of the loudest venues is Nassau Coliseum. And, you know, some of the reason is because of, of the low roof and, and, you know, how kind of that, that feeling when it comes to cheering and stuff like that, really, you know, kind of deflects off of, off of it. So that was one of the, uh, of the, the, the reasons why, um, but it is absolutely spectacular. Um, I was actually at the game um, on Wednesday uh, when, when we beat uh, Pittsburgh to go on to round two. And we had, I think 9,000 people in the venue and it sounded like 20,000. It was the loudest, um, you know, craziest atmosphere I've ever been a part of. So just now closing your eyes and, you know, going to, you know, this, the beginning of next year with UBS arena and having a sold out, you know, crowd every game, which we will. Um, and just everything that's going to go into it will just propel that brand. And then again, we're looking at it from the standpoint of we're in our 20th anniversary, we're going into our 20th anniversary. We're now creating this, you know, direct connection between the Islanders. What a better time for us to now, you know, adopt their name. Um, and really start to, 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 you know, create that association between the two brands. Now, now as part of that rebrand, a new logo, uh, what were the elements or the, the ideas, the concepts that you kind of wanted to convey to your fans? I mean, going away from a very almost iconic logo like the Sound Tigers had. Yeah, we, we wanted a logo that was more a traditional sports logo. Um, we wanted to get away from you know, more of the cartoony type of, of logo. We wanted legitimacy to the brand. Um, and it was also important that we represented two things. One is we represented the city of Bridgeport. They've been fantastic partners 
um, with us. And that's obviously where the iconic B, um, that is, we're calling the iconic B, um, in our logo comes from. And we also wanted to have a direct tie to the New York Islanders. And it was tough to come up with that concept um, if we're not actually taking, you know, their logo. So what we did is we took the tape on the stick um, and that's a zoomed in, you know, uh, picture of the Islanders uh, NY in their logo, um, which is my favorite part of, of the logo. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you mentioned that you're trying to build inroads there. And you're, you're in an interesting location because traditionally that's been hardcore Rangers country, you know, Westchester County, uh, Fairfield County, Stanford, Greenwich, all that. How, how do you, how do you break through that? Because I mean, you know, New York fan base traditions tend to go back two, three generations. Yeah. So so I think there's, there's a, a couple of ways. One is um, starting as young as we can from a fan base perspective. Mm. So we have great partners, um, you know, from rink partners, community rink partners. Um, but, you know, there's, there's several ways that fandoms develop, right? One of them is obviously location. You know, the other one is, you know, parents, whether it's your father, your mother. Um, and another one is, you know, affiliation and association. If you feel part of something. Um, when I was growing up in Canada, I'm actually originally from, from Canada. Um, one of my favorite teams was the New York Islanders. And the only reason was because when I was playing youth hockey, I was on the New York Islanders team, right? You just took a bunch of, of different hockey logos and put it on there. And I was all of a sudden a New York Islander. Um, so that's part of it. Um, the second part of it is, 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 is riding the excitement of the New York Islanders brand. Um, I think it is a very cool, hip um, brand right now. We're doing things the right way. We are, again, building this $1.1 billion venue in Belmont, New York, um, or sorry, Elmont, New York. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an unbelievable ownership group. Um, we have the best GM in the history of the NHL, and we have the best coach right now in the NHL, in my humble opinion. And when you look at who we are, what the Islanders' way is, it's something that fans can get behind because it's about hard work. It's about dedication. It's about selflessness. It's about creating a first-class environment, a first-class organization from the top up. And I believe that pride is what really propels fandom. Fan, you know, people want to be proud of who they're affiliated with, right? You can talk about the New England Patriots and, you know, you're proud because of, as a Patriots fan, because of, you know, the way that they ran that organization. The victories were one thing, but also the way that they portrayed themselves. Um, we are the same in, in hockey. We are the, the ownership, our ownership group has created this, this environment across our entire organization that is based on doing things the right way, whether that's in the community, um, whether that's, you know, how we actually try to build brands, whether that's how we represent ourselves on social media, whether that's, you know, what our game day experience is. Um, and I think most importantly, that's how we treat our players. Um, and you know, what, that we want, you know, our players to be proud as well. Um, and then that, that also goes to how we treat our fans. Um, and that is so important to us. Um, I think sometimes sports teams, you know, miss that, right. Mm -hmm. We serve, we're not about telling fans, we serve them. Mm -hmm. It's just like any other service industry. We serve them. So what they want um, you know, within obviously, you know, sometimes, you know, you don't want to just get anything. Um, but that's, that's what our job is, is to provide them with the best environment that, that, that we possibly can 
um, and to, you know, grow that fandom, you know, through all the different touch points that we have. Do the Hartford Wolfpack figure into this revamping at all? And I ask that because, you know, obviously they're New York Rangers affiliate, you know, when you say Islanders, you know, I mean, it's almost like Rangers are part of the Islanders identity in a way and vice versa. Um, how might, might you try to kind of play up that rivalry a little bit, you know, which has already been in place through the years? Yeah, I think that's more, more of it. It, it didn't play into the decision at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's an opportunity for us to strengthen now that rivalry on the AHL side mm-hmm. of it. Um, you know, Rangers Islanders, um, you know, Wolfpack Islanders. Um, and, you know, we have a great relationship with, you know, the business operations and the hockey operations in, in Hartford. Um, we've already talked about things, whether it's the Connecticut Cup, you know, or something like that that we can do that really tries to fuel that rivalry within Connecticut. Because, you know, we're really the only two professional sports here. Um, you know, there's there's the, the Hartford Athletic, but, you know, there's no longer the uh, baseball team here. Um, obviously, the Hartford Whalers are no longer here. So if you want to watch professional sports, you know, you, you've got these two different options um, within at least this state. So I think there's huge opportunities for us, um, and especially, again, based on, you know, that, that rivalry right now going with the Islanders and, and the Rangers, um, which was great this year. Um, it always is. Um, a lot of fans, uh, kind of social media and otherwise, have expressed concern about the long-term future in Bridgeport. Uh, what can you tell them to kind of, I guess, ease their concerns? Uh, what's the status of the arena lease? Uh, just where do things stand on that end? Yeah, we are here and we're committed for the long term. Um, we, we have um, extended our lease. There's, um, again, no, we're not going anywhere. Um, we, I think I've said this before, we love this city. Um, and we've developed a fan base here for 20 years um, that we're not going to turn our back on. Um, so we are committed here for the long haul. Um, we're working with the city um, every week um, in terms of how we want to move forward with this venue and, and improvements that are, are going to happen within this venue. Um, and you know, all I can say is we are moving in a very, very positive direction. Um, you're going to see a completely, you know, different venue over the next couple of years. Um, and that is because, you know, not only us, but the city is extremely committed to this venue and to this, this organization. And we have a tremendous relationship with them. Um, and you know, it's just getting better and better, um, you know, with, uh, with, with time here. You came to this role October, 2019. Uh, you know, you're just kind of getting your feet wet. You hit the pandemic. Then this season, I mean, you know, from a business standpoint, obviously it was what it was. Do you feel like you have not been able to quite put your stamp on things yet? Yes, hundred percent. We, we, so when I first came in, um, it was really to do a, an audit of the organization, figure out, you know, what we're doing great, what we're doing good and what we can improve on. Um, you know, collectively we developed a plan that we call vision 2020 um, that I think that was not the most creative title for. I think everybody <laughs> used, I think everybody used that. Um, but a lot of it was about, you know, how we can improve from a ticket sales perspective. Um, and most importantly, from a fan engagement and fan experience perspective. Um, we got um, our, our, our staffing right now, the amount of talent that we have here that we brought mm-hmm. in from, you know, outside of, of the industry. Um, some people within the industry um, is absolutely amazing. Um, but to your point, it was really going to be 2020, 2021 when all these changes, you know, that were going to be realized. And, you know, when COVID hit, um, I was one of those guys that said, Hey, in two weeks, we'll be back in the office. Um, And obviously I was completely wrong. Um, But, 
what it allowed us to do is now even plan, you know, more um, for now 21, 22. Um, and you will see a completely different brand. Not only our logo, obviously, you know, the, the logo's changed already, but um, how you experience our games, um, you know, what the customer service is, um, what the arena is going to look like, um, all of that stuff. That is, you know, one, two, and three on our list. Um, and we've already seen a huge growth in terms of season ticket membership. Um, so we're already headed in a really, really good direction. Um, we now have a direct connection with the Islanders as well in terms of how we create efficiencies across the organization um, to help out, whether it is with ticket sales, um, which we, we rescoped our ticket sales department's roles um, while we were here to help sell the Islanders um, during the pandemic. Um, we're also looking at it from a partnership perspective and whether or not there are, you know, certain uh, partners of, of ours or the Islanders um, that see, you know, kind of a, a, a unique opportunity to be branded, um, you know, within both venues and with both teams. So to answer your question, yeah, I mean, we haven't done what as a group here um, we, we want to, um, but this, this up, upcoming year is, I think, when we're going to be able to put our stamp on, on the Bridgeport Islanders. Now, you know, traditionally in the long before you got there, the team has struggled to put people in the building and the team has struggled to uh, kind of break through the noise. I mean, it's it's a crowded market in some ways, you know, just being that close to New York City and media coverage isn't what it once was. Um, how do you build those connections with fans that, you know, want to follow their team day in and day out, but just haven't been able to through the years? Yeah. It's, it's a great question, and it's really the hardest thing right now, I think, facing sport in general. Um, you know, ticket sales, in my opinion, is the hardest job in sport um, because there are so many other, other options out there um, for, you know, for entertainment. Um, what we have done is we've, we've surveyed um, our fans. We've done focus group with our fans, and we've asked them, like I said, we serve. You know, how can we make this experience better for you? One of the things that came out of it is we have a season ticket membership model where it's basically one price and you can sit wherever you want. Mm. Um, that's one of the first um, that I've heard of in the AHL, uh, I think in professional sport in general. Um, we have a premium and we have a base package. So your premium, you get you know some of the different benefits. Your base package is stripped down, but you still get a ticket to every game and you get your seat location if you want end zone, if you want center six, wherever you want, it's the same price. Um, so that was, that was one of them. The other part of it, and, you know, I kind of alluded to before was we can't control what happens on the ice. Um, but we can control everything else. And we want anyone who enters our arena to have a fantastic memory, regardless of what happens on the ice. Um, we are in the business of making memories, every event driven, every sport, every entertainment is about getting, you know, families, kids, adults, whatever it is into the venue so they can leave and say that was great because of blank um, and that's really where we're, where we're focused where you walk in the doors of webster bank arena you're not going straight to your seat right that's your backdrop you're going to go to our kids zone or you're going to you know there's going to be other entertainment options there you know we're going to program um the intermissions so that people want to stay in their seat obviously we want them to buy concessions as well but um you know that that they can stay in their seat because we're going to entertain them and then when they get out, we got to figure out a way for them, you know, to for from a, from an egress standpoint, um, for them to get home as quickly and safely as, as possible. Um, so it's all those different touch points um, that I think are, is going to help us really, 
with this branding um, and, and growth of our, of our franchise here in Bridgeport. When next October rolls around, it will be about 19 months since you last played a home game. It's a long time to kind of be separated from your fans. When you talk with people around the league, uh, what are some of the concerns, I guess, or also maybe opportunities that come with reopening next season? Yeah. That, so two months ago, it would have been a different answer because two months ago, there was a major concern that people might not want to come to events because of safety concerns. Mm -hmm. um, I think based on what you've now seen, um, what I saw on Wednesday um, yeah. with people just have an appetite to get out um, and experience life and experience entertainment the way that they did before the, the pandemic. Um, so I'm actually looking at it on the positive side of it, which is the opportunity here is for us to differentiate ourselves from other entertainment options out there because we think there's going to be a massive appetite. Um, not to say that people at all took going out for granted, but mm -hmm. I think just like anything else, when something's taken away from you, Right. Sometimes you don't realize how much you miss it. Um, there was, you know, I was, I was, I forget who I was talking to about it, but you know, I would watch um, hockey games or sporting events with my son. And, you know, you, I, when hockey was gone, when, you know, the masters wasn't in April of, you know, a couple of years ago, I was like sitting there going, you know, I can't believe how much I'm actually missing this. And there was just something of just that moment when you know you're you're really kind of understanding how important um, events are, how important entertainment is, how important is spending it with people you love or your friends, um, and you know how much that means to you know you as as a human being, um, and you know to again to me as a father. Um, so I think there's again a lot of people who have that you know kind of bent up you know. Um, uh, frustration or, you know, they want to get out. So I look at it from an opportunity standpoint where, you know, we have kind of one chance to make a first impression with some people who maybe have never been to a Bridgeport Islanders game before um, or previously a Bridgeport Sound Tigers game before. And how are we going to make sure that everybody that comes into our venue has a fantastic time um, and, you know, really is itching to go to the, to the next one and the next game and the next game. Yeah, obviously lots of work uh, to be done between now and, and October. What do the next few months look like uh, as far as trying to pump this new image and, uh, and get people uh, even more excited than we already know they are to get back in the rink? Yeah, so, you know, right now we're the New York Islanders' biggest fans. So that's, that's you know, for the next hopefully couple months. Um, but after that, um, you know, our summer plan right now is really to get in the community as much as we possibly can, mm. um, from a grassroots perspective, um, partnering with, you know, some of our great partners around here just to get our brand out there. Um, and then it's going to be, you know, schedule announcements. Um, it's going to be promotional, you know, games. Um, it's going to be what our, what our, you know, what our preseason games, you know, potentially are. Um, and then once we go on sale, um, with, with tickets, that's when we really, you know, kind of put the, the, the pedal down um, in terms of getting out there from a marketing and promotional perspective. Um, so, you know, we're looking at it no different than we would, you know, in previous years, right? There are certain times that, you know, we really have to ramp things up. But this year, particularly, it's about us getting into the community, um, making sure that people know that we're here, we're here to stay, 
um, you know, and, and, and hopefully that we can also provide a service um, to the community we live in and, and we love as well at the same time. Yeah, it's been a, a long time off, but certainly exciting things to come. Uh, Brent Rossi is the uh, president of business ops with the Bridgeport Islanders. Uh, thanks again so much for the time and enjoy the big clubs run here, hopefully deep in the playoffs. Thank you. Really appreciate you guys having me on. Interact with us on social media. Give us your thoughts using the hashtag Around the A and follow us at Around the A Pod. Episode 18 of our second season of Around the A continues. David Foote and Patrick Williams here. Time for On the Fly and only two stops on the fly in one city this week because it's Bakersfield and Henderson who played the Pacific Division final in Las Vegas at the T-Mobile Arena, the home of the Vegas Golden Knights. But before we get to that, maybe a quick recap of that chat with Brent Rossi. Uh, we told the listeners it was going to be in-depth, and it certainly was. I think we learned a lot about exactly what they're trying to do in Bridgeport and build that connection with the New York Islanders on Long Island. And um, again, something that, uh, as we've said on the show, is starting to become more prevalent around the league, really forming that strong connection uh, not just on the ice between the NHL club and the AHL affiliate, but in the front office and with the fan base as well. Yeah. Um, you know, the NHL, the AHL have never been more meshed uh, than they are now. Uh, and uh, sort of both sides need to need other. I mean, if, if you look at what the AHL does for the NHL, it produces 90% of the, the player supply for the NHL and, Vice versa for the AHL, um, the NHL gives them that uh, that 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 credibility, that 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 pedigree, whatever word you want to call it, that connection. Um, you know, so it's kind of a symbiotic uh, relationship, and that's what Bridgeport's trying to tap into. Uh, that you know, I understand the fan skepticism, I really do. Um, on the other hand, you know, you look at Bridgeport for the last twenty years. How far has that name taken them? Um, mm -hmm. How that that whole brand? Obviously, you know, if, if things had been going great, you probably wouldn't change anything, right? So, uh, I think it is a fair point uh, that, that Brent's making that yeah, we, we need to kind of come in here and he, like he said, he came in to do an audit of the franchise, uh, see what works, see what doesn't. Uh, evidently, they determined that uh, this was uh, part of what uh, they thought at the very least could work better. Um, time will tell. Uh, but um, this is a, a situation where, you know, this isn't Hershey or Grand Rapids or Chicago or one of those franchises where you're filling the, filling the building uh, consistently. So if it's not working, maybe you'll change it. And maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But, you know, when you're consistently near the bottom of the league in attendance, um, you really have nowhere to go but up. And uh, Brent Rossi now, um, he can kind of start from from a fresh start. You have a new new name, a new brand, a new everything. Um, you know, and everything that happened before 2019, before he arrived, is the past. Now it's about uh, what he can do and, and the stamp that he can put on the franchise. And uh, time will tell if it works. Uh, but I think you do have to give uh, him and the Islanders credit for the willingness to try something different uh, and see what may work. 
Yeah. And I, I mean, I was kind of thinking, um, it, it does kind of change your, your perspective on the rebrand a little bit. Uh, because again, as we mentioned before the interview, like I was surprised. I am at first was not a fan, didn't understand it. Couldn't kind of figure it out. But after hearing the explanation, it, it does make, you know, a little bit more sense at least. And, um, yeah, you know, they always say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But in this case, safe to say that things were a little bit broken in Bridgeport and, and a change needed to be made. And that's what uh, Brent is there to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's kind of like the Hartford Whalers. Um, you hear now, Oh, I love the Whalers. I love the logo, but then, you know, you know, I know some people from Hartford and you talk to them about what it was like back then and they weren't filling the building. Mm-hmm. So the team left, uh, you know, obviously there was a lot more to the story than that, but um, you know, it's one of those things where people don't like change. Right. And um, sort of like, I, I didn't hear this, this huge outpouring of um, love and uh, adulation for the sound tigers name and logo before the move came. Um, so, you know, it's only after the move came that people were like, Oh, well, what are you doing? We like that. Well, okay. Well, where was everybody for 20 years? Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't, they weren't certainly filling up the building. That's for sure. Because, you know, as we said earlier in the show, I mean, how many nights do you, do you see the sound tigers and they're playing before rows of empty seats? Um, so yeah, you bring a guy, I mean, this is a guy with high, high level credibility. You talk to people around the league, uh, very high marks. Uh, and then, you know, obviously his resume, uh, WWE, uh, Pagool Sports, uh, Comcast Spectacore, um, you know, the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, so um, a guy that obviously knows what he's doing. Uh, he's had a lot of success in different places that he's been. I say give him a shot, see what he has. Uh, if he can make it work, I mean, that would be a major issue off the, off the plate uh, for this league. And really solidify that market uh, and give them that, uh, that foundation that frankly, they've never really had, um, you know, going all the way back to when they started in 2001. Yeah. So it'll be exciting to see what, uh, what else they can do in that front office in Bridgeport to, uh, you know, get more fans on board and um, see how they can build from, uh, you know, what they have now. And, and uh, I'm interested to see what that partnership with the Islanders looks like if they can grow the Islanders, fan base in that part of uh, of the country because as we mentioned in the interview it's pretty heavily uh, new york rangers territory so lots to look forward to uh, on the rebrand front in bridgeport moving forward and we thank the uh, islanders and brent rossi for uh, his time in uh, doing that interview with us here for around the a uh, let's move on to on the fly this week again just two stops bakersfield and henderson the uh, site of the Pacific Division final was Vegas, and we'll hear from the head coaches of both of those teams and a couple players as well. Uh, let's start with the head coach of the Pacific Division champion, Bakersfield Condors, uh, Jay Woodcroft, um, who gave you some thoughts this week about uh, what it meant to him and to his club to win that championship. Yeah, this uh, video is, well, I should, it's courtesy of the uh, Condors themselves, Condors TV. So I wasn't actually in on this interview, but. Uh, um, yeah, Jay Woodcroft, uh, one of the real bright young coaches in this league. Um, like we said earlier in the show, has done a fantastic job coming in there and revitalizing and, and, and turning that program around. Uh, he had a long time as an NHL assistant coach. This gave him an opportunity to kind of run his own show, run his own bench, and he's taken the opportunity now the last three seasons 
said earlier, uh, two division titles in that span. So um, they've had a 17-game winning streak uh, that first season. Um, they've developed prospects. Uh, they've had a lot of success. And uh, they're starting to produce some players for the Edmonton Oilers. I won't be surprised to see three, maybe four players from this team go up next season uh, and stick up there. Um, and a huge part of that is Jay Woodcroft and then what he's been able to implement uh, in Bakersfield. Disappointing postseason for the parent club, but uh, a nice uh, feather in the cap of the AHL club as the Condors win the Pacific Division Championship. And again, uh, from the Condors, we heard uh, what that championship means to head coach Jay Woodcroft. I just said to him that they know how I feel. Um, we asked them to do some hard things here, including playing six games in nine nights. Three of them went to overtime, and we had to take out uh, two really good hockey teams, two very well-coached hockey teams. And um, to see those guys lay it on the line like they did, uh, they know how I feel. And in listening to Jay Woodcroft, uh, you can hear that, you know, while it was not a, uh, a, a league championship or, you know, a typical playoff, it still meant a lot to him to win that title. And um, that's something I, I would imagine is echoed by his players and staff as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Manny Viveros, head coach, who we hear from in a little bit, um, said this is our Calder Cup. Um, you know, this is a, the best we can do this year. Um, and um, that's how both teams approached it, that this was, you know, obviously not your typical uh, playoff, but, hey, this was the next best thing. Um, we're we're going to play, so we might as well uh, go all in and, and go for it. And uh, both teams, uh, that, that was very evident in their play. Um and it was high-level hockey, like I said earlier, it really felt like playoff hockey, both with the fans, but also just the intensity on the ice. There were, uh, you know, all the little postal whistle scrums. You could tell that uh, both teams really were dialed in uh, and uh, were taking it very seriously, uh, even though, like we said, it wasn't your typical playoff or your typical uh, battle for a Calder Cup. And both teams um, had young and talented goaltenders, uh, backstopping them through this season. We talked about Logan Thompson earlier on, uh, Stuart Skinner across the pond from him in goal for the Bakersfield Condors and uh, put up some pretty good numbers himself over the course of the season, a 238 goals against, 914 save percentage, a couple of shutouts in 31 games, good playoff numbers as well. And uh, he shared some thoughts on uh, what the season meant for him and what he was able to garner uh, you know, as far as development goes in this strange time. Yeah, Stuart Skinner probably could have made a good case for uh, the Bastion Award uh, that Logan Thompson won. Uh, a workhorse, uh, led the league, like you said, 31 games, um, put up some really nice numbers, uh, had a real good breakthrough season. Uh, actually started the season with Edmonton, came down. Uh, for Bakersfield, I think at the time, was 0-5. Uh, so he came in and really solidified things right off the bat, got them back on track. Uh, and they really never looked back. They played over 700 hockey the rest of the way, including the playoffs. Uh, so as we hear, you know, again, from Condors TV, um, Stewart's uh, Skinner's thoughts on this season and how his game grew uh, going through this experience. Yeah, it was, it was nice for me just to kind of have a year like this, just kind of bring up the confidence a bit and just to know that, you know, I can play and that, uh, you know, being able to, play well in this league is obviously a good step moving forward and uh, when you want to play in the NHL, right? So it's it's one league behind. So 
um, you know, it's a, it's a good step for, for myself individually this year. But at the same time, I wouldn't be here without the guys playing as hard as they did in front of me all year round. So, um, no, it was, uh, it was an awesome year uh, and, uh, yeah, just really enjoyable. And it was a big year for him as well. Uh, you know, put up those numbers in uh, the regular season for the AHL. He also made his NHL de- debut this year at 22 years old. So naturally a lot to learn for a young goaltender. And it seems to me that uh, he was able to learn a lot this year. Yeah, apparently so. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, you really can't ask more for your season than uh, what he got. I mean, he got 31 games in. I mean, so he got, you know, not all that far off from a, a more standard workload that uh, you get in a full season for a lot of goalies. Uh, just, he was just every night. It seemed like he was in net. I mean, Jay Woodcroft rode him um, that whole way, and uh, um, it paid off, obviously, for the, the team. And I think it really uh, expedited uh, Skinner's growth. And, uh, you know, depending on what the Oilers do, you know, uh, with, with with their goaltending picture, I think it's a good shot. You could see Skinner in Edmonton next season in a backup role. Um, I think, you know, obviously he has age on his side. He has uh, affordability on his side. So, uh, based on what he did this season, uh, I think he's shown that he has to be viewed as a real contender for that job um, in Edmonton. And he took some playing time away from another pretty good goaltending prospect in Dylan Wells uh, from uh, former Peterborough Pete. So mm-hmm. uh, that uh, says a lot, I think, about Skinner's play over the course of the season. Uh, let's flip over to the uh, Henderson side of things. Uh, this team was favored to win this uh, Pacific division uh, by yourself as well. And then for obvious reasons with uh, the type of season they put together. And um, I've listened to this Manny Viveros clip already. And, and I was a little surprised at his demeanor. I thought he might be a little bit more uh, fired up and, and perhaps, you know, uh, upset with the result, but as you'll hear in a minute, uh, this was not the case. Um, he seemed to just be happy to have gotten the season in and, uh, as most uh, of the people we've talked to on the show have done, uh, gave a lot of credit to the staff and the people off the ice that really made uh, this season possible. Yeah, I think it was, he's almost sentimental, I guess, uh, like reflective, I guess maybe it would be another word. Um, you could see the pride he had in his team and what they had done. Uh, that was a big thing for a lot of teams to get through the season and, and be able to say at the end of the year that you had zero COVID cases. Obviously, if you have COVID cases, that doesn't mean necessarily that um, anybody did anything wrong. But uh, certainly, I think if you, if you had zero cases, you, you can definitely be proud of that as a team. Um, and he clearly was. And then certainly uh, what they did on the ice, uh, they started off 17-3. and three. Uh, They were rolling. And really, I mean, they you know came down to the third period of the final game of this postseason. Uh, before they finally bowed out. And uh, so, uh, yeah, if you're Viveros, uh, you, you had a team starting in a new market, um, uh, did it under, you know, obviously the most strange of circumstances. Um, you, you had to introduce a team to a, to a market where you couldn't have fans for the first two thirds of the season. Uh, yet they did that. Uh, they, they played exceptionally well. They developed players. Uh, there's a number of uh, top young prospects on the team that I think you'll see in Vegas before too long. And a huge part of that was Manny Viveros. Uh, his first year uh, running an AHL bench um, did a fantastic job. It, it was 
a pleasure for every one of those uh, kids in that room are, are really good people, uh, most importantly. And they happen to be good hockey players also too. So, no, it was fun. It was a lot of times, uh, uh, you know, throughout the season where, you know, a lot of things you don't know what's going to happen with the pandemic and everything. And, you know, I, I give our, our training staff and our doctors and, and, the, and the group themselves, uh, you know, just by by chance or, or by luck or and also not just by chance like we had didn't have one positive uh COVID test and uh these kids really bought in this year and worked as hard as they could and made sure they took care of themselves off the ice also yeah he did do a fantastic job and uh, i mean we have to thank him i think for so much of his personal time this year uh the amount of time that he took out of what was surely a hectic schedule to talk to you and and other media and um you know to do that side of the job. Uh, he's got to be commended for, for that. And um, again, I was a little surprised he wasn't upset, but um, at the end of the day, as we've said all year long, it's, it's been about getting these games in uh, keeping everybody healthy. And um, even without the Pacific division uh, title, the Henderson silver Knights were able to do that uh, as well. So um, thanks again to Manny Viveros for, uh, for all of his time he's given to around the A throughout the course of the season. Uh, our last uh, stop on the fly this week is it's still in Henderson, but with one of uh, their rookie players, 20-year-old Caden uh, Korzak. Um, this is a guy who only got into a handful of AHL games this year. Uh, he did play for Canada at the World Juniors. He was in the WHL bubble where he played 15 games for the Kelowna Rockets and uh, got into 11 regular season games with the Henderson Silver Knights. Uh, tell us uh, about this prospect, Pat, and uh, why he was one of the guys you wanted to hear from uh, on cleanout day. Yeah, he was kind of your one of your classic examples of uh, a young player with uh, CHL eligibility. Uh, started the season in Henderson, uh, got a little bit of time in there, and WHL started up playing. He had to go back, so he kind of uh, straddled both lines, uh, and then Henderson played long enough that uh, he was able to actually find his way back to the American Hockey League after his WHL season ended. Uh, and really had an opportunity to come in at one of the best times possible, uh, get some playoff action and, and do so in, in, in an NHL building. And uh, he loved the opportunity. Young kid, good attitude, um, a good, a really good young, solid prospect. Uh, I know the Vegas management likes him a lot. Manny Beavers likes him a lot. So, um, yeah, it's, um, you know, on a season which, you know, there wasn't a whole lot that was necessarily fun for players. Uh, mm -hmm. You could see that they had fun that night coming out 7,000 plus in the building playing in obviously one of the, you know, shiniest, flashiest NHL buildings there is uh, being all part of that, that atmosphere. And I, I said this on Twitter after the game. I mean, what, what a strange kind of bookend to the season. You start February 5th in Massachusetts at a practice rink on a weekday afternoon. You end on a Saturday night, in an NHL building right off the strip in, in uh, <laughs> Vegas. I mean, kind of just a fitting end, I guess, for such a upside down, strange season. And it was a really cool, really cool way, I thought, to end it, you know, um, to not end it in a practice rink with no fans, but to really sort of um, use this now as a springboard toward next season where we're all open. And I, I think at this point, feel a lot more optimistic that you'll have full buildings, um, and a, a real big uh, return to normal. I mean, every team in the league is counting on that and really pushing toward that. 
And uh, we heard from Caden Korzak about that experience of playing at T-Mobile Arena. Again, not to full to capacity, but to full based on what we've seen around the league this season. And uh, as he'll tell us, uh, quite the experience for a young player. Yeah, it was, uh, it was something special to play here for sure. Um, especially in um, that amount of fans. That was probably the most I've played in um, probably my whole life. And it was bumping in there. And um, <clears throat> that meant everything to our group. And um, just having those uh, having those fans behind us. And um, that's kind of what makes Vegas so special is, is the fans. So um, to have, have them back in the building was um, definitely nice for sure. And just the experience overall for him, Pat. Um, again, only 16 games in total, but... Uh, I mean, line up the list of, of junior eligible guys who got even half that many games in at the AHL level this year. And, uh, you know, tell me how much their games grew just based on that experience. Uh, it was a huge opportunity. And uh, Caden Korzak obviously relishing that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, great opportunity. Like, I mean, you know, considering the, the circumstances, I think if you're him, you have to be pretty happy with your season. Like you said, he got some world junior time uh so you had an opportunity to do that um and had a chance to play high level ahl even into the postseason and then also got some of his whl time so i had a chance to go back to more familiar uh, setting um and uh, kind of put a bow on that experience um so it was all things considered i mean i think if you're a korzak and a number of other players for that matter um the season went pretty well and uh, you can now use that as a chance to go in the summer on a good note, um, have a great summer training, uh, follow all the, the you know instructions and all the uh, guidance uh, that, that you'll have. I know of in Vegas, for example, a lot of players actually stay in there this summer, which surprise, surprise, <laughs> that a bunch of young 20 something yeah. guys would choose to spend their summers in Vegas and uh, train there and use all the top notch facilities and, everything else so um probably the least surprising news of the entire season um uh but uh yeah uh for a guy like Korzak Cody Glass is another one um it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You know, just a chance really to, to you know, have a good end to the season. Now have a great summer, and like I said, coming to camp and ready to maybe compete for an NHL job, or at the very least, um, get to the AHL team and really have a good season. Yeah, big summer ahead for him and for all the prospects. Uh, big summer ahead for us here on Around the A. We're going to uh, take a real close look at the show and see what we can do better next year and what kind of changes we can make. We're always hungry for feedback from the listeners, so if you've got some tips for us, around the a pod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Um, if you've liked what you've heard so far through the course of the season, make sure to subscribe to the podcast to rate and review it as well. And um, again, we'll see what we can do building into next season. Uh, I talk like we're done. We're not done yet, Pat. We've got at least two episodes left. Um, the games are finished, but there should still be some news to talk about when we uh, reconvene again next week. 
Yeah, you know, like um, there's always something going on in the hockey world. I mean, today you have, uh, when we're recording this, you have the Palm Springs uh, groundbreaking for the new $250 million facility there. So uh, this is now the time where you're moving to some more of the off-season stuff. Um, you've already had one coaching change in Lehigh Valley. Um, you know, uh, there could be more management changes around the league or uh, re-signings. And then eventually, before you know it, we're into July, you'll have the free agency period. Um, the draft comes up. That always seems to have an effect on some things, especially now as uh, you see more and more young players uh, finding their way to the American Hockey League uh, one way or the other. The CHL rule, I think, is still an issue that uh, is very much uh, going to uh, come to the forefront again now. You have an entire season of, of top young players who went through that. Uh, so you have a good uh, good base of, uh, of data on that. And then, you know, different experiences for different players and different teams uh, with how that went. And so I think that will be an issue. Uh, so, yeah, you, you know, hockey's pretty much at this point a 12-month sport uh, business. And, uh, you know, there's really not too much downtime anymore. Yeah, we'll see what we can dig up for next week's show. Uh, if you want to hear some other recent episodes or even some that aren't so recent, dating back to last season, uh, we've had an excellent guest list on the program. SportsPodcastingNetwork.com has all the old episodes, uh, as does whatever platform you are listening to the show on right now so uh, check out the old episodes and make sure to check out the newest episode next week when we're back for episode 19 of season two of around the end Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.